Many people don't even know the difference between anxiety and depression or what it means or when you should get help. Don't numb yourself. Get help instead. Talk to someone instead. Numbing out is a temporary short-term solution. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back, folks, to the Mind Valley podcast. I'm so excited about our guest today because if you've watched The Big Bang Theory or if you were hooked on that beautiful 90s sitcom, Blossom, you've heard of this brilliant woman, Mayim Bialik. She is with me right now, and not only is she an incredible actress, but she is also a woman who's been nominated for four Emmy Awards. She has a PhD in neuroscience. She's written a variety of books on everything from advice for girls and boys to a book on vegan recipes to a book on attachment parenting. She is now the host of her new podcast, which I strongly recommend. It's called Mayim Bialik's Breakdown. This is going to be a fun ride. Welcome, guys, and let's get started. Mayim, welcome to Mind Now. That was some introduction. Wasn't that brilliant? Yeah, I know. I'm really good at introductions. People tell me that. That's my career in a nutshell. You just did it. But what I like best about you, uh, which I think is really cool, is that you gave up acting for 12 years to get a PhD. And I'm curious about that. What made you decide to go so deep into neuroscience? Well, let's see. There's a couple questions in there. When I went to college, I was two years out of high school. So Blossom ended when I was 19 and I was two years out of high school. So I basically had two years to watch all of my friends go to college. And I went to very um, aggressive academic schools where, you know, going to Ivy Leagues was the thing that you did. So, you know, I kind of had two years of, of angst of, you know, watching everybody have all these experiences in college and really feeling kind of out of sorts because I really just wanted to be in college. My grandparents are immigrants and I was raised that you go to college, like no matter what. So by the time I went, I had fallen in love with science as a teenager and originally wanted to go to medical school. I wanted to study psychiatry, not because I wanted to push pills on people, which is what a lot of people think psychiatry is, but because I wanted to have the medical knowledge of the mind and the brain. And the God's honest truth is I did not have the grades to get to medical school. There's a class called organic chemistry that basically determines if you can go to medical school. And I did not do so well. I mean, I studied all the time, but I ended up going to graduate school, which is not to say that people who go to graduate school are not as fantastic as people who go to medical school, but it's just a different, different way our brains work. So honestly, I wanted to know everything about the brain and nervous system. And I ended up studying obsessive compulsive disorder. And I worked in the field of mental retardation and um, really liked being in academia. It really agreed with my my sensibilities. I, I didn't miss being a public person. That's not something that's ever really attracted me about being an actor. I was never really taken with the money or the fame or any of that stuff. I, you know, I'm the grandchild of immigrants and I'm the child of civil rights activists and public school teachers. So I wanted to be among people who want to study and learn and geek out about things. And I ended up meeting the person that I eventually married and had children with. We met as undergrads and we had our first son when I was in grad school and our second right after. So like I was on a completely different track of life and no one cared what I looked like or, you know, how much I weighed or didn't weigh, or if I had 
colored hair or lots of piercings. Like I was living a very happy, you know, anonymous life, I guess, as much as you could. And then you went back into acting. Tell us about that. So I had, as I said, I had my first son and, and then my second son, and I chose to leave academia to stay home with my kids. That's a, a very difficult decision that is not for everyone, but for many parents and in particular women, it is a decision that we make. And so I was actually teaching neuroscience for about five years after getting my degree in the homeschool community here in LA. Um, I often taught with a baby strapped to me. I also tutored piano to make ends meet. You know, I done a lot of things to make ends meet. And the fact is I was running out of health insurance. And it's not, it's kind of like funny to say that, but it's also, it's true that, you know, we, we don't have the kind of healthcare in, in this country and in many places in the world. And I knew that if I could just even do one or two acting jobs, I could get health insurance for my, at that point, toddler and essentially newborn. So I had never seen the Big Bang Theory. Someone mentioned it to me once. I thought it was a game show because they're like, oh, you were mentioned on the Big Bang Theory. So I thought it was like a game show. And they were like, this person is a neuroscientist. So anyway, I just started auditioning while also still teaching and doing all the things I was doing. I was not planning on being on a sitcom. I did not know what the number one comedy in America was like, it's a crazy weird story. And, you know, it also changed my life. You know, I'm incredibly grateful and humbled that this is the path my life has led me on, but definitely, you know, like life is what happens while you're busy making other plans for sure. <laughs> I love how you you move from something so glamorous into something so academic, based on everything you know as a neuroscientist, based on what you are learning from this so many incredible guests in your breakdown podcast. What would you say are a couple of tips that as individuals we can do in the midst of this chaotic world right now to deal with our mental health? Seeking help if you have not. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even emphasize the importance of it. A lot of people think like, oh, it'll pass. My problems aren't big enough or no one can help me and I'm beyond help. Kind of both ends of that spectrum need attention. There are online resources that people can use to get support. There are also really wonderful resources, not even for therapy, but for information. Many people don't even know the difference between anxiety and depression or what it means or when you should get help. I like to refer people to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, NAMI.org is a great resource. I've, I've used their services for many, many years. There are many wonderful online resources that can at least start the education process because a lot of people just can't even name what's going on. Simple things also we're learning what mindfulness is, the notion that we can calm our nervous system down by learning to stop and breathe is a very important scientific fact that really does, with regular practice, change the lens with which you view the world. And we're talking, this could be three minutes, three times a day. Learning to breathe in a way that doesn't just open your diaphragm, but gets all the way up into your shoulders. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google how to breathe right so that it gets all the way up into your body. That increases many, many important things in your brain and nervous system. I promise it's not out there. It's not, this is not hippie stuff. This is real science. Simple things like that, building that into your day, even in small ways, learning to pause instead of yelling, instead of freaking out. All those things can be taught from all the wonderful resources that exist online for simple things like mindfulness. And yes, get sleep, 
have a routine, get off your phone. Phones are wonderful. Phones connect you to the world. You do not need to sleep with your phone. It's not good for you. It's not good for your brain. It's, I promise there are unconscious processes at work when your phone is in the room with you. Get off your phone. In the day when you're waiting in line for something, just look at the people around you. You don't need to go and scroll through your phone. I'm breaking the habit for me. My kids are breaking the habit for them. The phone is a wonderful thing, but it is not necessarily contributing to your mental wellness. I promise. Don't drink and do drugs, like things in moderation. Those are like the, you know, those are the, like, those are the mom things. Like don't numb yourself, get help instead. Talk to someone instead. Numbing out is a temporary short-term solution. So let's go on to the next topic, man. The next thing is I want to play a little game with you. I want to ask you the geeky questions, the the questions that keep, keep geeks awake at night. So firstly, Elon Musk said there's an extremely high probability that we are living in a simulation. Now, you study the brain. You're a neuroscientist with a PhD, but you are also, you've also expressed in interviews that you have a religious identity, you're Jewish. How do you reconcile neuroscience and religion? Are we living in a simulation created by an advanced being, an advanced alien being? Are we a product of a higher power? What is your worldview? Wow. I mean, that, that's a lot of questions in one. I think it's funny because my 13 year old, he sometimes will like wake me up. Mama, mama, is this a simulation? <laughs> He's very, very into the simulation idea to completely bring it down to kind of like brass tacks. You know, when I first saw the matrix a million years ago, like it rocked my brain and it rocked my world because it felt, it felt so accurate to a lot of the things that I had felt, especially as a teenager and and honestly still continue to feel as a a large teenager. You know, I still kind of feel like I'm the same person in there. It just, you know, older on the outside. You know, I I don't know that my belief, a power in the universe and, and all of the forces of nature, which I choose to call God, I don't know if that's in opposition with the notion of a simulation. I also don't know that I would put a necessarily a, a negative or positive spin on the idea of a simulation, because my concept of God and the universe is that it's not good or bad. It just is. Meaning if I were to ask you, is gravity good or bad? Well, it's bad when people fall down and hurt themselves, right? But it's good when we don't fly off the planet. So that's kind of how I think of of my concept of God. God just is. It's all those forces of nature. You know, the tides need to do what they do. The sun comes up every day. I'm pretty sure. I like to point out to people, even if you don't believe in God or have a religious practice, if you believe when you go to sleep that the sun will likely come up in the morning, we have the same faith. We just choose to honor it differently. And there's not judgment around that. You know, I may say a prayer about it. I may feel a certain feeling, but our faith is is really the same. So I don't know that I can answer either for you or your audience or my 13 year old, if we're living in a simulation, what I know is that, you know, I have a religious practice and I have a a cultural practice that is very, very focused on the here and now we're very much about, you know, what do you eat? Is there mindfulness to that? How do you present yourself? How do you conduct yourself? How do you interact with other human beings? Um, and, And that's not to say that that's the only or right way to do it. You know, my belief is that there is oneness in the universe. And every culture and every religious tradition is trying to make sense of it, just like indigenous people have made sense of it for thousands and thousands of years. These are all different ways that cultures insert their humanness on something divine. And in my religious tradition, God is unknowable. 
God is absolutely unknowable. There's aspects you can know, there's a relationship you can have, but the the extent of kind of, you know, our understanding of a larger journey of the universe, that's not for us to know. But we do get to know how to love each other, how to be kind to other people, how to treat the world and the earth with respect. So those are kind of the principles, I guess, that I live by. So probably simulation. Don't know if it changes how the rest of this interview goes, but we'll see. Beautiful. I like that. Now, the next question is this. As a neuroscientist, you understand how complex the human brain is and how it evolved, but you probably have also thought about where this evolution is going to go. Like a million years from now, what would we look like as a species? And that leads to another question. If the universe is, what, 15 billion years old, are there other species ridiculously ahead of us? And are they visiting us right now? Do you believe so, in aliens? And where do you- <laughs> Let's just boil it down. To, does Mayan Bialik believe in aliens? I, I, um, I had to word it. I had to word it in a more elegant way. So it doesn't sound like I'm interviewing you for the National Enquirer. No, I appreciate it. And I think it's very important. And this is also not to, you know, not to talk about my podcast, but this is a lot of what I do on my podcast is we take we take concepts and try and find the science and the humanity under them. Meaning like, you know, even sometimes people are like, oh, what's acupuncture? And why do you use essential oils? And why do you have crystals on your desk? And it's like, well, I'm happy to explain it. So here's the thing with aliens. It is completely possible that there are beings and, and probably pretty likely that there are beings, of course, out there besides us in terms of you know, development. Yeah, I'd be happy to say that it's likely that there are beings that are ahead of us. And also I'm willing to grant, and again, my 13-year-old loves to talk about this. I'm also willing to grant that we don't have access to that kind of information or perception, meaning there may be dimensions that other beings operate on that we do not have access to. And I will just say that I love the movie Arrival. That's the Amy Adams. Is that her name? You know, the redhead? Yeah. And like the things with the suction cups and the language, like that's one of my favorite movies to think about our perception and how far we may be away from even understanding and not to get religious, but in biblical times and in many ancient traditions, God spoke to people all the time. Right. And the notion is like, God, the God doesn't speak to people. And I just said this to my almost 16 year old. I said, what if God is speaking and we've lost the way to listen? And that's kind of how I feel about this notion of other beings. They may be communicating with us and we don't know how to listen or we don't have the tools or the consciousness yet to listen with. And that's like super, that's higher level. It's very, you know, I'm not trying to sound esoteric. I love the idea of wonder. I love the idea of maybe and of magic. Yes, I'm a scientist and I do want proof of things. But the fact is, I'm open to the possibility that there's more evolution than this. And if you think about sort of the overlap between Neanderthalensis and Australopithecus and all of the, the, the homos that came before us, meaning we're homo sapiens sapiens, there is overlap between different processes of evolution. But I think what's important is, is not to think, you know, my older son was like, well, who's the most evolved being? Who's the smartest being on the planet? And I said, I cannot answer that. 
it depends what kind of wisdom you want to talk about. You know, there are things that dogs can do that I cannot. The dogs are much smarter than me when it comes to smell, when it comes to loyalty. Kidding. That was a joke. But anyway, I think it's very hard and a very human and very capitalist desire to make a class system around it, you know? And I like to think of us more on some sort of spectrum and continuum that is not linear. And I think that's, again, what the movie Arrival really, you know, helped. That's a movie recommendation I'd love for you guys to check out. Now, let's touch on that topic. What do you believe about God? Is God in our brain? Is God outside us? Is God the morphogenetic feel? What exactly is God to you? The concept that I was raised with, which still resonates with me as an adult, is that God is everywhere and everything. God is every molecule, every person, every breath. It's all around us, just like the forces of science are all around us, you know, and and that's sort of a, a later interpretation, you know, traditional Orthodox Judaism is not like it's about science, but there are many scientists who are Orthodox Jews and have been for thousands of years. Some of our most famous rabbis were also doctors historically and consultants to sultans. And we have a, a rich medical and scientific history, but that really is sort of my understanding of God. You know, I don't like to say like God is a feeling, but my younger son actually has taught me a lot about the feelings of safety and security and wonder that we feel is divine. So in that sense, really everything does have the capacity to be touched by divinity in some way. Do I think that religion is God? No. Do I think that people are a representation of exactly what God wants? No, there's terrible things that happen. There are horrible people. There are horrendous things done in the name of God and religion, but do not confuse God with the people who follow God. Those are two different things. I love that answer. I am, what a beautiful soul you are. Like I just being in your presence is so uplifting. Thank you for joining us, Mayim Bialik. And for those of you who want to continue being connected to Mayim and being part of her healing energy, all you got to do is check out Call Me Cat, the TV show on Fox. And most of all, subscribe to her beautiful new podcast on mental health. Breakdown with Mayim Bialik. Thank you, guys, and thank you, Mayim. Thank you so much. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.